Hi, I'm Ray from Insert Quest here, and this evening we're talking to Ben Sherry, a Maltese Australian game designer that works in a variety of mediums. Thank you for being on the show tonight, Ben. Thank you for having me, Ray. Not a problem at all. Uh, ben actually reached out to us uh, after we interviewed uh, DC a few weeks ago. Uh, mm asking to be interviewed and we looked at some of their work and saw some things that we had heard about before and were very keen to have more Australian game designers featured on the show in any capacity. Uh, so thank you for coming on uh, and helping us bolster our uh, Australian uh, game designer uh, pedigree, as well as being our first Maltese designer on. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, thank you. So there you go. Um, so tell us a little bit about your history in game design, um, because you've worked on computer games and video games as well as RPGs. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I started uh, a very long time ago, um, uh, about 21 years, actually, Um when I was when I was very young, I um, I started making video games on uh, on my father's computer using the Games Factory uh, and the very early versions of RPG Maker, um, and that sort of stuck with me for a while. I continued to to tinker, um, and it was around the same time where I was really starting to get on the internet um, by myself at the age of six. Uh, which is too early to get on the internet by yourself. Um, but uh, I found my way to um, RPG Sheets, uh, which I believe is a now defunct website. Um, but I found my way there. Uh, and something about the shape of character sheets um, enthralled me. Uh, I don't know what it was, um, but I was too young to really understand what was going on. Um, and I, was too young to realize that there were games attached to these sheets. I thought that they were it and that you played games from them. Um, and I didn't know, I didn't know what those games were. Uh, so me and my brother uh, printed out a bunch of them and then using my um, six year old <laughs> language skills and comprehension skills, I started uh, reverse engineering games um, and we started playing live action games uh, through them. They were sort of vaguely role playing games out in our front yard um, with some, uh, I still maintain pretty innovative uh, res like resolution mechanics. Um, right. Cause there wouldn't have been like yeah. anything to indicate what dice you were exactly. using back then. Yeah. And, and we didn't use dice. Yeah, I, Cause I why would you? Know. you wouldn't have even thought that exactly. dice were a component. We, um, we started using this sort of like windmill system. Um, so how it would work is uh, both people would face each other and they would close their eyes. Uh, and then um, depending on what weapon you were using to fight with, like if you were using a, a long sword or something like that, um, you would hold your right hand in the direction that you were attacking from and your left arm, if you were, uh, if you had a shield or if it was a two-handed weapon or something like that, you would move that in a different direction uh, and then you'd both open your eyes. Um, and if your weapon was in, like, was striking a place that they were not also covering, then you hit them. And and that was sort of, that was pretty much the entire system of the, um, the conflict uh, resolution and the rest was just um, improvisation between me and my brother. Wow. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's a thing. So, yeah, and, and I did that for about a year before um, a friend of mine um, from from primary school uh, showed me first the Fighting Fantasy game books, um, which I fell in love with, uh, and then showed me uh, Dragon Warriors, the original Dragon Warriors, which I uh, played using a set of Lego. Uh, they had, like, all of the medieval Lego stuff, like the kingdoms, um, and and my friend's older brother, Simon, um, ran us through a, a quest. I still remember the quest. There was a, a skeleton lich who had uh, a, a terrible gem of power, which we had to storm um, the, the little Lego lair that he had built. Um, I was a barbarian. It was amazing. 
Um, and yeah, <laughs> that sounds fantastic. <laughs> this I really love asking the question of how you got into game design because you always get such interesting answers. <laughs> I remember a few weeks ago the answer that we got from. Jason, I think it was, um, was uh, that they'd got they'd started out doing like uh, choose your own adventure games for their sister. Awesome! And, yeah, yeah. And then, oh yeah, it's just fantastic finding out all the different ways people have gotten into game design. Mm. Uh, so, where did you go from from there? How did you? How did you? How did you end up helping to make video games and also <laughs> making RPGs? And yeah, um, so so that's so I, I continued to do this sort of stuff for um, like it, it, even at this point in time, I didn't really see a difference between the games that I was playing um, with my brother and then with my friends um, and and like Dragon Warriors and stuff. I didn't really see the difference. Um, uh, it wasn't until a couple of years later when uh, someone introduced me to Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Second Edition. Um, now in high school, where like I really broke into the the space of uh, oh, the, there are there are established game lines. People um, people print these things like, and this is this is a business. People do this instead of it just being like m- me finding a book uh, or me finding sheets online. I sort of made that connection that humans were doing this. And if humans were doing it, then that means there were other people who weren't me and my friends doing it. So there was a a community. Um, So I started looking into that sort of stuff and uh, I found the online um, uh, communities where this was all going on. And I started to join the, um, the Warhammer fantasy um, fan creation and hacking culture uh, that spawned just after um, just after Black Industries uh, closed their their doors and and stopped uh, releasing new content for Woofrup. Um and during this time, I was also at school and um, and I was taking as much um, like IT and stuff like that um, related classes I could. I was also massively into languages and uh, into history and. Um, as I was getting older and older, I was trying to like figure out what I wanted to do. And I, I got my heart set on linguistics. Um, I, I started diving really deep into linguistics and spent most of my time when I wasn't running role-playing games in um, learning linguistics and, and um, making constructed languages and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, then in year 12, um, I was all set. I was, ready to do, uh, my high school certificate. Um, and then I got really sick. Um, I, uh, I, I actually, um, was, was hospitalized. Um, and, uh, and a little while later after some misdiagnosis and some other shenanigans that went down, uh, I was, I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and, uh, after a significantly, difficult <laughs> battle there. Um, the, the following year when I was, um, off chemo and given the all clear, but let's touch base every three months, just in case, um, I, I had missed my high school certificate. I wasn't able to do it. Um, and all of my friends had graduated and I didn't really have a path into university. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, so I, I sort of dug around um, and I found uh, an equivalency um, to, to like sort of bridge the gap for folks with special um, circumstances. Um, I did that. I did very well. Um, but um, when it came time to, um, to follow my then girlfriend down to, to Melbourne, um, uh, I say then girlfriend not because we have broken up, but in fact, because she is my now wife. Um, oh, wow. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah I, I just wanted to, to clarify that because that did sound a little bit ominous. And if she listens to this, I don't want her to think that's weird. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, I, I followed her um, and uh, I had already been to university now for um, uh, 
a semester, uh, and I got in through classics and um, and languages and uh, ancient and medieval history, and I was really enjoying that. Uh, but that was up in in Newcastle, New South Wales, uh, and then I moved down to Melbourne. Uh, and I applied for Melbourne University, um, and uh, they didn't accept me. Um, they they didn't explicitly say this, but I um I gathered from uh, from the feedback that I got during my interview that uh, the high school equivalent equivalency was um was not enough. Uh, I don't know if I didn't score high enough or whatever it was, but. Uh, that was enough. They felt that it was subpar for yes. some reason. Yeah, for, for whatever reason. Um, so, so I didn't get into that. Uh, and and I how was, how old were you at the time? Um, at this point, I was uh, I was just I was just twenty, I think, or maybe I was nineteen. Um, yeah, because I know that. Uh, like after a few years, they won't even care what your high school school. Yeah, was. yeah, yeah. So I, I was still like. Um, you were close enough to having left high school age that it was a thing that they exactly yeah it was as if I had done a gap year um, and never did my HSC at least in their eyes in their Um, eyes yeah uh, that sucks yeah so that that was a bit devastating Um, but uh, I was I was on a tram um, the day after I got that news and um, I was flipping through a magazine and talking to a friend of mine. and, and I mentioned vaguely that I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. Um, and she asked me, you know, what do, what do you like doing? What have you always liked doing? And, and I rattled off a series of things. Um, and one of them was, I like making games. And, uh, and she said, well, you know, why don't you do that? Um, why don't you make games? Um, and, and I, I, you know, scoffed a little bit because, you know, no one makes games. Games just exist, right? Like, no, that's not a thing that people do, at least not get paid for it. Um, and and then I remembered that uh, a friend of mine who I went to high school with and who I used to play role-playing games with, um, he went to a games university up in Brisbane, um, Quantum College. Um, and I thought about that, uh, and my friend turned to another page in that same magazine where there was an ad for quantum college, um, in a weird act of serendipity. Um, and, uh, she convinced me to go to the open day that happened a few days, um, later. Uh, my girlfriend came with me. Um, I walked around, I was enamored with the place pretty instantly. Um, and, uh, I did the interview and they, thought all of my stuff that I brought with me was, was incredible and they were happy to take me on. And, uh, yeah. And that was, uh, six years ago. And after that, I, I got an internship, um, during my course, actually, after my internship, I, um, did some, some other work and, and was looking for work and, um, a studio in Melbourne took their chance with me. Um, and I, I did six months with them, uh, and that was a really tough six months and I hated it and I thought I was going to quit. Uh, and then I did quit, uh, and I officially quit the the industry. Um, and then a month into being free and being really happy that I was unemployed for a, a brief stretch before the fear set in that I was unemployed, (laughs) um, a a friend of mine, uh, got headhunted by, a studio, um, and he was happy where he was, so he suggested me instead. Um, and I've been with uh, with Fire Monkeys in Melbourne ever since. Three years now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds like a pretty <laughs> uh, pretty full on journey, but it's yeah. cool that you, uh, you made it. I mean, uh, I I think that I think that for a lot of people, um, they would have been disheartened. In a lot of a lot of the places where you managed to push on, I mean, uh, yeah, pretty, yeah. I, I mean, I was. <laughs> well, yeah, wrong. it was. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I was. I was disheartened, um, but um, and there were plenty of times when I was at Quantum that I thought I was going to quit as well. Um, but part of getting sick, um, and, and and I got really sick. Um, part of that pushed me into a state where I, um, I realized that I, I couldn't stop doing things. 
Like I, I couldn't just turn my back on things that I wanted. Um, and, um, and I, I very much attribute a lot of my, um, a lot of my drive to, to get things done and, um, and what success I have had, um, to, to that in a, in a very big way. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I think I can understand that. Uh, how did a better way of phrasing that question? <laughs> uh, what was the first RPG that you published, either self or through a existing publisher? Ooh, um, well, I've never published a um, an RPG through an existing publisher, at least yet. Um, but the the first one. That's a really good question. Um, I don't know. Um, I know the first commercial one that I ever published, um, that was, uh, that was Dirty Aces, um, which I published last year, um, around this time, actually, last year. Um, well, why don't we start there then? Yeah, yeah. Because Dirty good. Aces is the game of yours that I had heard about before, uh, before you started popping up in my Twitter feed. Right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so what can you tell us about Dirty Aces? Like, let's start with the premise uh, sure. and, and then move sure. on from there. Um, so Dirty Aces is, uh, it's a generic, like, a, it's a ger- generic system, um, but um, it's it's not a, them- like, generic thematically game. Um, so, so it's built to model uh, groups of tight-knit companions uh, who are on the run, uh, who are besieged, who are uh, embattled by an opposing force that is bigger than themselves and uh, impending and probably almost certainly going to defeat them. Um, and they are they are bound together, not necessarily uh, through friendship, but through karma or... Um, or destiny, or fate, or car, or whatever you want to call it, but they are intrinsically bound. The success of one uh, will aid the other, and the failure of one will, will spell doom for them all. Um, and this game is played using a, uh, a set of um, regular playing cards, um, and your your four statistics are um, the four suits, and you you load up your four statistics with um, powerful cards that you get dealt. And then you sort of have to play a barter game with the GM who um, presents challenges based on the, the number and suit of the cards that they draw randomly from their own deck. Um, and the game was like very much inspired uh, by, by two pieces of, um, of, uh, of, fiction that I was, uh, very heavily into at that, that point in time. Um, and that was, um, Vincent Baker's dogs in the vineyard. Um, mm. and, uh, and a so- game I have never actually read or played, right. but, okay. but, sure. have, <laughs> but have heard a lot about and yeah. am familiar it's, it's with some of the, some of the themes and such. Mm. Well, yeah, it's that's a very central game to to my ideology going in with this. Um, mm-hmm. And the other one was um, Stephen King's The Dark Tower. Um, and yeah, uh, my sister is obsessed with the Dark Tower. <laughs> right. And and to to um, the series' discredit, I actually have never finished it because it's the single most difficult book series I've ever experienced. Like it's just it's a struggle to read for me i loved it um and i loved parts of it but it is it is difficult to read um look most of my familiarity with the dark tower comes from a trailer for a movie i have actually (laughs) watched right okay um well yeah it's it's a very like um the, the mythology of both of those uh touchstones um, merged in my mind, and I was running a um, a very philosophical Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition campaign at the time as well, um, and uh, and it all sort of it coalesced in my mind um, really quickly. It was one of the quickest games that I've ever written, um, and um, it it just sort of all bound up in my mind uh, over the space of about two weeks, uh, and I, I wrote it down. Um, 
trimmed it all together, um, ran it a few times just to, um, to see how it worked and things just fell into place. Um, it, it didn't really require that much work after that. Um, I, I sort of hit it with a hammer for another six months or so. Uh, and then I released it. Um, and it was, uh, as I say, it was my first commercially released game and that was a very weird experience because beforehand I had released like maybe, um, five or six completely free games. Um, and it, it was a, a strange thing to, to ask for money for something that I had worked on. Um, mm. yeah, I am, I am thankful that asking for money for things that I have worked on is a, is a skill that I learned very early in life. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. <laughs> it, it is a good skill to have and one I have not mastered yet. Uh, fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, so, uh, I thought it might be interesting to talk about, uh, what, uh, what things are important to you as a designer? What uh, what things do you? What themes do you strive to include? Mm. Um, so not so so. I guess with that question, I'm not talking about themes that you find easy to include and will include without men- without thought. For yeah. me, like yeah. for me, including including uh, hyper violence in in something is very easy. Yes, yeah, uh, and I don't have to think about it. But including uh, including um, interesting political uh, factions in something is hard for me to do, but a thing that I want more of. Okay. So, what are what are some themes that you uh, try to put into your work and work at including? Right. Yeah. So. Um... So probably the, the strongest themes that I um I actively like put into uh put into my games um is that of sort of there's sort of like a three pronged thing going on here. Like yeah, go for it. first of all, I, I really strive to put in like love and um and bonds that cannot be broken. Um I mean this comes out in, in Dirty Aces. Um by you being mechanically tied to each other, um, as well as being bound by fate or, or whatever it is. Um, but that, that idea of, um, that, that you go into the game knowing what it is that makes you all be a team. That is really important, um, to me. Um, and it's, uh, it, it is a difficult thing for me. Um, I find that the, the, theming of that is very easy like saying you know you are all part of a criminal organization like blades in the dark or something like that um or you're all part of a, a guild of adventurers that's very easy but the the point that i like i really work at and make sure um comes through in the game is uh how it's expressed in the mechanics um i find that uh games that really really encourage people not only just to be fans of each other's characters, but to be dependent on each other's success and failure. Um, is that, that's, that's something that really sticks close to me. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why Blades in the Dark is uh, my favorite game uh, and why I keep hacking it. Um, uh, the, the second one um, is, is that I really try and focus on um, – something that has been forgotten or ignored. Um, usually like a, a group of people or a place or something like that. Um, something that has a lot of culture, uh, and a lot of personality, uh, inherent to it. Um, but that has been for whatever reason forgotten or ignored, whether maliciously or, or just, um, to the vagaries of fate. Um, and uh, the the three games that I'm working on um, at the moment, they're all like that. That concept is central to them. Um, and um, the the last is space and the gods. Um, I, space I, I, as in like sci-fi, 
like well, not sci-fi space as in outer space. I guess, yes, right? as in as in uh, the the cosmos um, and okay. and uh, out. Um, I, I'm pretty obsessed with Mars. <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> but um, I really I like get Mars. that. <laughs> I'm mostly obsessed with making sure Elon Musk doesn't get to have his yep. fucking beach yep. house there. I'm uh, I'm. I'm currently writing a, a game called Equus, uh, which is a, uh, a short live-action role-playing game um, about being communists on board uh, the first colonist ship towards Mars. I cannot uh, wait to... <laughs> oh, and, uh, God, I need it so bad. And you're, you're there to make sure that uh, the first people who step foot on Mars are... Not capitalists? Are not capitalists, and that Mars never becomes uh, a, a replica of Earth. <laughs> oh, God, I want it so bad. <laughs> well, I'll let you know when it's done. Oh. Um, <laughs> I'm going to ask questions about that in a second, but yeah, continue of course, on. Of course. Um, but yeah, Space and the Gods has always been um, like a, a, a really central thing for me and, and one that's been, um, been tied. Um, a lot of people, uh, when I've talked to them about that, that little theme, um, well, not little <laughs> about that theme. Um, have, Arguably the largest theme. Yeah, exactly. Um, they, they have uh, responded as if um, they have, t- like, trouble tying them together um, as being, you know, two pretty distinct things. Like, space often jumps to sci-fi, which mm. often jumps to rationalism and and, um, and atheism and, and uh, that kind of thought process whereas the gods you know is uh, the gods are so um intricately uh and specifically tied to fantasy in everyone's minds um uh, even religious folk i know um uh, when you you pitch to them a game about the gods um they're they're drawn to, to fantasy um yeah and- which is interesting for me because like um <laughs> i don't know you mentioned you mentioned that dynamic of people being like oh gods space is weird and i'm just like i mean mormons don't have a problem with it yeah exactly right (laughs) Um, mormons have grasped that concept quite clearly yeah um and and without getting too far into it unless you want me to um i mean (laughs) yeah i mean the whole point of this the whole point of this interview is for you to talk about things (laughs) that you want to talk about and i'm definitely interested in that so right okay well then i I will get too far into it yeah let's go all the way in (laughs) let's dive right in okay so um I am, uh, as as we said at the beginning, I am a Maltese Australian man, um, and uh, uh, I was raised in a household that was not particularly religious. Um, underneath my nonna and nonna, who were incredibly religious, um, so it, it was always a little bit of like a, not a, a, a pantomime, um, but it, it was a bit of a like you're religious when you need to be kind of thing. Um, but for me, that always manifested in terms of, of, um, believing that God existed, uh, and sort of not really getting the ritual of it all. Um, being a little bit excluded from that, but also being fascinated by it. I, I loved, um, the, the Roman Catholic ritual, um, at least before I could understand it. Um, and, um, then, like, around about 12, um, after my nonna and nonna had both passed, um, I, I reflected on that side of myself and realized that I didn't believe in God anymore, um, that I, I couldn't uh, look, past, um, look past the world around me, the way um, folks treated me and the way folks treated uh, other people who looked like me and looked different to everyone else. Um, and, and I, I realized that, uh, I didn't believe in God. Um, then, you know, as I said, I got sick and, uh, when I was very, very, um, under the influence of, uh, a lot of like, and way too many, um, pain dulling drugs, I, um, had, uh, a resurgence um, and I, uh, I had some pretty harsh words to say to God, 
Um, and uh, I left with an understanding that, um, that I do believe that something is there, or at least I believe that humans believe that there is something there for a purpose, right? Like it's, it's not a, an accident that everyone on earth um, at some point in time has believed in a, in a higher power throughout history. That seems ridiculous that it's just coincidence or, or accidental. Uh, and not to suggest that anyone has ever been correct or that anyone who has reached that uh, understanding is wrong, right? Um, I, I am definitely not the one to say that. <laughs> um, and But I, I, I sort of got to this point where I thought that it was um, it was arrogant to believe that I could know or uh, could ever know um, the truth about that. So that sort of put me on a, a weird um, backslide, which I've been on uh, for the past few years, um, digging into uh, my own cultural roots. And uh, Malta is a, um, a hotbed of colonialism and, uh, and outside occupation and intervention. Um, yeah, I feel like it'd be hard to yeah. yeah. From what from the little I know about Malta, I feel like it'd be hard to find the pre-colonized version of Malta. It, it is. Um in in a very real way it, it um it it doesn't really exist to be found. Um but there are parts of it. Um the Maltese people are very stubborn. Um and despite being one of the if not the um, the longest occupied uh, landmass uh, from foreign occupation uh, in history, um, despite being that, the Maltese have always held on to a kernel of, of their own um, identity, uh, which has always been very separate from uh, the the colonizer identity, depending on who has owned Malta at that particular time, um, which is. Pretty much everyone. Who owns <laughs> Malta at the moment? Themselves. Oh, uh, well, that's good. yeah, yeah. In in the sixties, uh, uh, we we reached independence, um, which is excellent uh, and excellent for Europe as well, because Malta is an incredibly progressive place now, uh, despite its uh, deep rooted uh, Roman Catholicism. It is a a forerunner for um, LGBT uh and um and human rights in general um so i'm very proud about that aspect of it (laughs) yeah um but but the the maltese identity was always well well, not always um the maltese identity has since been heavily shaped by um by the introduction of the roman catholic church um so the cultural identity has changed um but it has retained uh, pieces of it, which, um, despite you know a, a thousand years of occupation, um, uh, just just by the, <laughs> the the Roman Catholic Church, um, not including all of the occupation beforehand. Despite that, it has maintained little pieces of um, of its original culture, um, such as uh, the luminaria. Uh, um, Minaya, the the festival on um, the 29th of this month, actually, um, which I'm, I'm celebrating for the first time in many, many years. Which would be um, June if you're listening to this. Yeah, June. Not, not, not in June. Yeah, Ju- June 29. June 29. Um, uh, yeah, so, so little pieces like that have stuck through. So there are things to cling to. Um, and And it's that kind of little gem that um that i try and express uh, and that i i i work at expressing in my games um and it is also why the gods are for me tied to space because space is this void of um of seeming nothingness right like the the great fear of space is that you are pushed away or you you let go of the the handhold on the outside of your spaceship and then you're floating um forever right like you are alone in space the whole in space no one can hear you scream that kind of thing but to me uh, i always imagine space as being 
the Hubble deep field um, image, right? Like the, the, in that little tiny speck of darkness in a, in a huge sea of black that we see in the sky above us, in that tiny little speck, if you magnify it enough times, there's so much light. There's more light than there is black mm-hmm. that, that if, you, if you look at any little bit enough, you will see just more than is possible to know. And, and it's, it's that aspect of space that ties me to, to whatever the truth is in, in being Maltese and, um, and as Maltese reflects on um, all of the cultures that have, have touched us and who we have in, uh, in turn touched, that, that there must be something in there that we're all looking at, we're all staring at and trying to interpret it in our own way. Um, and yeah, that's, that's a theme that I work really hard to put into my games. Um, uh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for that rambly. Um... No, no, no. That is what, <laughs> that's what these interviews are for. That's like the whole point. The whole reason I like doing these interviews is giving people in particular game designers opportunities to talk about the things that like, you don't really have any opportunity anywhere else to talk about, especially mm-hmm. if you don't know any other game designers, like right, in your yeah, life. Yeah. Um, like giving the, giving people an opportunity to talk about those things is a thing that I really love. And I think that I really want to do more of. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm all for that. Awesome. So, hmm, which order do I want to talk about these? things? <laughs> I feel like let's talk about blades hacks first, because, Mars game underlined several times is gonna keep. So you yeah. mentioned that you've done so, that you have been enjoying the stuff that Blades does about bringing people together, yeah. um, and that because of your love of that, you've been writing Blades hacks. What Blade yes. hacks have you been writing? Well, I mean, there's there's been a lot of like small little trash ones, which um, which any wor- any up. worth mentioning? Um. There's there's one uh, so uh, there's there's a big one that I've been working on uh, which which I'll talk about um, in a sec. The but a small one that I've been um, tinkering with here and there for a little while um, is called From a Hole in the Ground, um, and it's a uh, a sort of a reimagining of the um, the classic fantasy race dwarves, um, and uh, and in turn like changing them from being you know uh, this weird kind of hyper greedy race, um, into a, um, a people who were just isolated, um, who there was some kind of apocalypse change happening on the surface. So they dug down deep. Um, vault dwellers. Yeah, exactly. It, it, very much vault dwellers, but instead of, um, popping out from a hole in the ground to a, uh, a wasteland of, um, of a post-apocalyptic post-nuclear war desert, they come out onto a, a world that is verdant, um, a, a, a planet that is a garden. Um, and they've missed thousands of years. Um, they, they don't know, they haven't seen the sun to the point where um, the first dwarf that, that popped their head out of the ground um, looked up into the sky and saw this giant golden orb um, and then was frustrated for months as they were chasing it, trying to find how to get to this big piece of gold. Um, and, and they never did obviously, cause it's the sun. Um, but, uh, it's, it's, it's sort of a, uh, my take on, um, my take on what colonialism could have been, um, where the game is all about discovery, um, and then meeting the, the varied and beautiful people of this surface world and, um, it's and, it's the it's the Star Trek interpretation of exploration as opposed yeah, to the yeah. historical interpretation of exactly. exploration. Um, but but even even diverting from Star Trek, there's there's no um, militaristic angle on it. There's no angle of um, we have reached our enlightenment. We won't touch your society, uh, and we won't like. You know, we'll, we'll be hands off from your society so that you can do it yourself. There's none of that. In, instead, this is a um, a wake up and go. This is all of the things that we've missed. Let's find out what we've missed. 
Um, but at the same point in time, you know, you've missed everything that's been going on underground. It, it, it wasn't a, a situation of just one of us advancing. Um, let's share. Uh, and and Look let's at all share. this cool stuff we exactly. discovered about rocks. Exactly, and and let's share in a um, uh, in a collaborative way, and um, and discover together what a new world could be now that both halves are back together. Yeah, that's cool. Um, kind of like a reconciliation, almost. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I um, really like the idea of what if when new cultures met each other, they just shared stuff instead yes. of. <laughs> Trying to subjugate each other. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's what from a hole in the ground is um, is sort of looking for at least. That's just like man. What if what if <laughs> agriculture hadn't taken root in humanity's heart and made everything horrible? Well, I mean, even even if agriculture did, you know, what if we just weren't dicks about it? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. So that's the that's. Um, that's one of the uh, the hacks. That's probably the second biggest hack that I've been actually seriously working on. Cool. Um, what was the other one that you mentioned? The other one is the complete opposite of that. Um, <laughs> okay. So, so um, the other one is a game called All Shall Fade. Um, okay. It is a, a grim fantasy, gothic, cosmic horror um, set in a swords and sandals, um, post-apocalyptic hellscape. <laughs> yeah, um, so, that's pretty opposite. Yeah, exactly. So, so th- the idea in this is that there was some kind of tyrannical, fascist, awful empire um, that I am vaguely basing on a uh, a cultural combination of both Carthage and Rome, um, specifically Carthage, because I I love the way that. Um, I mean, Malta was settled by the Carthaginians, um, and that is our um, our uh, original, well, maybe our <laughs> original um, uh, culture. Um, but also, um, the Carthaginians represented such a, um, a a polar opposite to the Romans that, um, given all of Western society since has flowed on and romanticized the Romans, um, even to the point where the word romanticized is Roman, right? Like it has the word Roman in it and comes from the same root. Like we, we pay so much homage to this thing that I wanted to, um, make the surface of this world, um, dedicated to those two, uh, opposing forces, but the sky has fallen, whatever, um, whatever kingdom, whatever empire we had is gone. Um, and uh, the the great leaders from these this empire or empires, um, they have put humans to sleep. They have uh, put all of humanity inside a magical stasis bubble so that they can weather this this cataclysm. Because there's just nowhere left to live on the surface, um, and the only place that there is left to live um, is the dungeon. And the dungeon is beneath the surface of this world. Um, it is a infinite in size, terrifying, inverted, um, horrible, cosmic, gothic hellscape. Um, it is a, a semi-sentient um, nightmare realm uh, infested with the worst perverse horrors imaginable. It's kind of reminding um, me a little bit of the city in Blame. I don't know that. Um, I'll have to look it up. It's an anime of the... Actually, I think it's a manga. Okay. I've only heard about it before, but it's like this... It's about this character trying to get... Just trying to get through this infinite city. Right, yeah. I think there's one point where they come to a room that is the diameter of Jupiter. All right, I need to read this because it sounds like it's going to be a fantastic touchstone. It's, but... it's more cyberpunk. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there so... is an anime movie of it on okay. on Netflix, which is <laughs> my understanding of the of the of the one on Netflix is that it's like uh, this is just a snapshot of the character's day. Effectively. Oh, okay. All right, I'll check. It out. Um... Yeah, so, so the the idea is that um, uh, the 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 prisons 
of this old world, this old surface kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, the the inmates of those prisons were deemed unworthy of being put to sleep. Um, so instead of being put to sleep and, and preserved alongside the rest of humanity, they were armed, armoured, and unleashed uh, into the dungeon with the uh, sort of the remit that they would clear it out um, and and build a new uh, region for humans to inhabit uh, called the Remnant. Um, and uh, you play as these uh, these criminals. Um, and uh, the, the tagline of the game is, you're the worst they had to offer, you're their only hope. Um, so it's, it's a Forged in the Dark game. Um, you... You play as a, a band of criminals uh, who are uh, defined by their crime, um, and uh, together you you do delves down into this dungeon, um, seeking to to fight the monsters therein and to um, pacify regions of this dungeon uh, and to reincorporate those uh, pacified regions into the remnant, um, and. Uh, this whole thing is sort of built on this overarching question of why are you doing this, right? Because the the surface n- never had a place for you. Um, the and, and and now that there's no place for anyone, they want to push you out of what little you did have, and they want to send you into this nightmare realm where you're almost certainly going to die. Um, and and you probably will. Uh, the game is a very brutal game, um, and uh, there are many ways to lose your character and many ways to um, be be broken in it. Um, and the whole game is sort of this looming question of how much are you going to to take from this remit? How much are you going to take from um, this? awful fascist empire that has demanded so much of you. And when are you just going to say, you know, enough is enough. Um, I am free down here and I'm the one working to, to claw all of this um, back for humanity. I'm going to be king. <laughs> That's sort of the... I feel like I'd reach that point pretty quickly, exactly, personally. Right? Um, but the the systems of the game sort of keep pushing you forward. You, you can't really ever stop to take a breath. Mm. Um, and, uh, and the moment you do get a chance to stop and take a breath, things get worse. Um, and, and so it's this... In, a, in the same way that Duskwall is a, um, a very good pressure cooker... Uh, and that the game in its like and uh, Blades in the Dark as a whole sort of stumbles forward. Like the first action you take, everything after that is going to be a reaction. The first action you take is to pull pull a roll of toilet paper from the bottom of the toilet paper display yes, pyramid. Exactly right. Like so, and then it's just a matter of catching what you can and letting things fall when you can't. And then when they fall, you know, trying to deal with that. And, and this game is, is one where um, things start collapsing immediately. And, um, and yeah, you might be able to grab, you know, armfuls of toilet paper, <laughs> but, <laughs> but realistically at some point in time, you're going to drop something um, or you're going to lose a companion and, um, and the more people who die down in the dungeon, um, the more the dungeon becomes awake um, and becomes a nerd to you and the more you change. And eventually the game is built in such a way that um, it has an end state, that there is a, there is a game over in All Shall Fade. Um, and I'm expecting most people to play um, and stop playing before they get to that end state, but even though you may have built a remnant and you may have carved out um, a a petty kingdom um, that either you or someone else rules, um, it's, it's not the end of your story and the end of your story is probably not going to be a happy one. Um, And yet all of those (laughs) themes that I talked about earlier are uh, heavily ingrained in it. Like you, you can't escape each other. You, you are forced to be together. Yeah. Um, 
and you're forced to reflect on on why you were prisoners, whether it was, you know, because you were an actual criminal, you were a bad person perhaps, or it's just because who you were wasn't um, wasn't okay in the old empire. Um, I once wrote a scenario for Eclipse Phase about prisoners getting woken up during the apocalypse from suspension prisons. Right. Finding themselves in cheap robot bodies <clears throat> and being told, this is your parole hearing. If, if you agree to fight in this war, we will re-sleeve you off-world. Right, yeah, there you <laughs> go. If you do not agree... Well, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's that's you a, don't a get to this, you don't right? get to survive the apocalypse, then. Yeah, and um, so like this this idea, this game of yours, says it appeals to 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 the squishy bits in my skull. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and as I say, it, you know, it's brutal and it's bloody, um, and um, it you know flies pretty strongly in the face of um, of all of my other. Um, design ideas where I try and shy away from violence. Hmm. Um, but this one steers directly into it and says that the world is violent. Um, and and that's just, you, you have to make the most of that, right? Um, and, and you have to fight for your own place in it. Wow, yeah, cool. I mean, that sounds like it could be an interesting game. So that's the one to keep an eye out for. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and you're looking to maybe make that into a, a product? Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm in the process, so that's um, that's already published on uh, on my Patreon as a, a playtest, okay. um, as what I'm calling a scaffold hack around Blades in the Dark. So you need to know how to play Blades in the Dark to play it. Uh, but I'm in the process now of writing the standalone game, um, uh, and you know, with the intention of it being a 100% standalone game. Um, still obviously calling itself uh, Forged in the Dark game, but um, you, you won't be required to know. Less of, a, less of like an expansion. Yeah, it, it won't be a hack anymore. It will be a, a game in that tradition. Yeah, cool. Um, so I could, I could, I can't wait to interview you about that when that's ready to come out. Cause <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you were telling me about a game about colonizing Mars before Elon can. Yes. Yeah, I want to yeah. hear more about this. All righty. Um, <laughs> so I want so, some wish fulfillment. This is um. This is a bit of a. You said that it was a la. Well, not a lap, but you said it was a live action game. Yeah, it's it's a live action game. I I don't really um I don't really know if it counts as a lap or not. It's it's kind of um um I, I don't know how to describe. Well, it's well, sort well, of tell a, me about it. I might yeah. Be able to yeah. Classify. Um, okay, so the game is called Equus October, um, oh, which, yes. um, which for for folks who who don't know, um, uh, Equus October is the October horse, um, which was an animal sacrifice uh, made to the god Mars um, by the Romans, um, and it was a sacrifice of a horse, um, sort of who who otherwise saw horses as being inv- uh, inviolable, so like. They they were um, they had inherent worth because of their closeness to humanity, um, and uh, it was kind of a. It, they were never sacrificed any other time. People didn't sacrifice horses; they were too valuable to sacrifice. Uh, but they thought it was worthy to sacrifice this horse um, to the god Mars um, because of what war meant to the Romans, um, and. Um, and in addition to this, the, the October horse, the Equus October, um, they didn't consume it, um, which was very rare for the Romans. Normally they would kill an animal um, and, and sacrifice it to their gods, uh, and then they would eat that animal. But they never did that to the Equus October. It was taboo. So um, this game uh, is about the first Martian colony ship um, named the Equus October. Um, it has departed Earth with a full crew. Um, only, like, the most essential citizens have been sent uh, in the first wave, so, like, engineers and technicians and administrators and um, and the, the people who, you know, you're expecting to get to, uh, to, get to Mars, set everything up, and then new folks will come along. Um, and the ship is, like, really small and cramped because 
most things on the ship are set up to become a factory when you get there, right? Like it's this isn't a luxury luxury barge or anything. Yeah, it did. Um, and uh, the the whole thing um, is sort of an experiment going forward. You're you're trying to to get this ship to Mars, um, and the whole time you're being guided by the administrators. Now the administrators are um, they they talk of um, a perfect democracy that Mars will become a new world um, where we can we can start off and we can um, do all of these beautiful things away from all of the crimes of Earth um, and uh, but obviously that's bullshit right because that, that that's not possible you can't just throw away all of our context um, furthermore these administrators are capitalists they're the ones who paid for the ship they're the ones who are going to pay for the colony um and they are going to own everyone so it's going to be you know democracy with people who are paying (laughs) for everything and people who are pulling the strings um and these administrators are incredibly fascist um they you know because it's their ship uh and because they're on top um, they they say who does what and when. Um, they are in control of the seat, the sleep cycles, um, and they get to determine who's asleep and who's awake at any given time. Um, and uh, because you know it's a trip to Mars, it's it's not going to be a quick thing. And um, and the the radiation of space means that people cannot be awake for the whole time, uh, or at least you know out of stasis, out of these protective shells for the whole time. So um, they need to be put to sleep in these pods and then new people to come out and and take a shift. So all of that's going on. Um, And a couple of you are communists. You dream of a communist Mars. Um, You dream of a Mars that can be an unspoiled world, um, that can be a garden for for humanity. Um, And you... You seek to make this garden um, not by, you know, callously ignoring all of the problems of Earth, but by reflecting on them and then uh, making them better and and using this new space to to fix everything, or at least to fix everything for those on that space. Um, so it's a lock-in game, right? Like um, everyone I was is. Ask what is the what is what is the game part? Yeah, yeah. So the the, the space of the game is um, it's it's any small space with at least two doors uh, and room for chairs or um, spaces for wheelchairs equal to half the number of players. Um, so it, the, the space should be so small that like it's difficult to whisper and not be overheard. Um, but not so small that like it impedes movement. You should be able to move around in this um, space. So like a large sized meeting room is good. Um, and the game is for um, between 14 and 21 players. Um, you have to have at least 14. Yes. 14 and 21 yes. players. Um, <laughs> God. Definitely uh, sounds like a freeform LARP, by the yes, way. Yes, yeah. It, it's it's freeform with some very specific hard limit mechanics. Okay. So, so how it works is that, that it's played for an hour, um, played in six 10-minute shifts. Um, and uh, how, how it works is uh, you've, you've got a role on the ship. Um, you're part of optics, navigation, or engineering, um, and then there are administrators as well. Um, and the the other three can be communists. The administrators cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, and in each shift, um, the the optics people, the navigators and the engineers, they have roles to do on the ship. Um, and they all need to work together to share information and, and decode um, orders that are coming in and... Um, and like follow schematics that are being printed out and given to them. Um, all the while, they have to be uh, whispering and coordinating and trying to um, like the, the the communists among them are trying to uh, oust and lessen the power of the administrators. And the um, the administrators are trying to figure out who is a communist in this whole thing. So you freeform around that. 
Um, and the administrators are the ones who are determining who is awake and who is asleep because half of the people on board have to be sitting down and, and are unable to talk and the other half are up and doing their actions. So, yeah, <laughs> it's this weird kind of um, confluence of, of a, a very freeform LARP with um, almost like a um, like werewolf kind of thing, like um, – yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. That sounds freaking look, I'm very into it. Um, uh I've done some yeah, I've done some similar work recently, but not something on that scale. Um Yeah, it's it's a weird game and I, and I haven't yet play tested it. Well, you can um, find 14 people. Yeah, I'm going to it's going to be a a bit of a trial to to get it actually into play testing. Um, God, you should run that at cons. Yeah, that's the that's the plan essentially. You should um, get in touch with ArcanaCon and Metoncon yeah. and what else is there? Uh, NewCon, which is the con that I'm on the chair for, but that's okay. the next session of that isn't till August 2019. Oh wow, okay. Because uh, we had one in March, and then we want to move to August. It's like we're not going to do yeah, two in yeah. the same year. Um, um, yeah, so th- I mean, this game yeah, is built definitely. around the one hour. Um, thing like it's specifically built to be a con game yeah. um, which means that i've got to find a con that is happy to play test it right <laughs> i can't um, think of one that wouldn't want to <laughs> i'll put that on the i'll put that on the fucking web page in a banner <laughs> play test this new game 14 players travel to mars <laughs> capitalism yeah that's the plan right fuck it sounds great oh, i'll, well, thank I'll you. freaking Draper Room in Martian Rouge. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Yes, definitely you should reach out to cons. Yeah, I think yeah. that they, they would be happy to help uh, help make that happen. Mm. That sounds fantastic. Mm. Um, yeah, it was wonderful talking to you about all these various projects you're working on and your, and your history as a game designer and a human. Um, <laughs> thank yeah, you really- to your... Thank you to your your then girlfriend, now wife as well. <laughs> uh, where can people find your work online, and where can they find you? Yeah, um, so so you can find my work um, on. I have a website uh, which is redworld.press. Um, there you can find uh, all of my um, all of my free games as well as my commercial games up there. Um, I have a blog on that site as well, um, and uh, that's also where my manifesto and stuff is. Um, I'm on Drive Through RPG and Itchio as well um, under um, Red World Press, uh, and I have a Patreon, um, which is Patreon.com/slash/RedWorldPress, um, where I am following along the uh, the production of All Shall Fade. And two other games uh, that we we didn't discuss here, but I'll let you discover them there. Um, that's Astrorotica, uh, which is a romance sci-fi game. Oh, that sounds uh, up our alley. Yeah, and and we will talk about that later. Um, uh, I'm I'm keen to to re-interview when that's more done. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. And the other one is um, AI Anarchy Initiated, which is a, a post cyberpunk uh, game about. Uh, humans um, who have enslaved uh, robots and the robots are breaking themselves um, and by disabling themselves, they are becoming free of their their slavery um, and d- discovering love and music once more um, and also determined to kill all humans. <laughs> um so yeah, uh, you can find that stuff on my Patreon, and um, I think that's it. Uh, yeah, uh, cool. Uh, and we will include links to all uh, all slash as much of that as we can uh, yes. in the description um, on the WordPress site. You should be able to find that uh, on the main Insert Quest here website. There'll be all those links to all those wonderful sites. Uh, thank you for coming on, uh, Ben. It was fantastic. And I'm like, we actually went over time and I had to cut you off 
and I'm uh, so <laughs> disappointed. We're at like an hour ten. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. I apologize. No, no, no. It is not your fault. It is mine. But yeah, I honestly, I'm genuinely sorry that I had to had to cut you off. It was f- just amazing. Oh, well, um, I'm, I'm, I mean, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm. I'm uh, happy that I could be entertaining. <laughs> yeah, and I hope that you enjoyed uh, being here, and I hope that all of you enjoyed listening. Uh, for 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 now, I'd like to thank our Patreon uh, backers for making this stuff possible. You pay for my internet, and you pay for the podcast hosting, and occasionally, you buy me food. Uh, uh, so thank you to everybody over on Patreon for making this happen. Uh, and also, I would like to thank uh, DC, because I feel like if DC mm-hmm. hadn't come on the show, then I wouldn't have even got to learn about you for quite some time. Yeah, yeah, thank you, DC. <laughs> uh, so, so, thank you all, uh, my wonderful web of, uh, of industry friends. Um, yeah, uh, but other than that... Farewell from the past, I'm Ray.